Other People's Flowers is a podcast for stories, poetry, and essays. Thank you for listening. This week's work comes from Philip Carter. Philip Carter is a writer who lives and works in Pamplona, Spain. He is tall, enjoys travel, and runs the imaginatively named website Tall Travels. His work has been featured in Flash Fiction magazine, Fabula Argentia, and Page and Spine, among other publications. He won the 2018 Writing on the Wall Flash Fiction competition. A Boot Full of Dreams Janice Cartwright squinted up through the clouds, trying to detect the feeble sun. It was still 30 minutes to opening time, so she found her reading glasses and flicked through the Sunday Express. There it was, the Greek islands feature in the travel section. Perhaps if she sold enough at the boot sale, she might be able to make some inroads on the urgent reminders that were piling up and escape to where the sun was more than just distant, anemic glow. What's the goal today, Mum? A hundred quid? Hmm, not likely. People will probably stay indoors with this bleeding weather. Suppose the mizzle will keep some of them away. Still, boot sale come rain or shine, eh? Let's hope for the best, Barry said, with an encouraging smile. Buy in the rain, sell in the sun, she wagged her finger at him. You never know what you might find here. Usually, bad cafeteria food and a bunch of dopey teenagers, he replied, looking at the Bradbury College crest on the sports hall. Might find something worth a few bob today, she said, thinking of the topaz ring she'd bought last week. Barry sat in the driver's seat, arms folded. Keep your money. Why don't you save up for a holiday? You've got to speculate to accumulate, my son. Besides, I'd need to sell the whole bloody house for a holiday. Janice took off her spectacles and checked her short grey hair in the mirror. She smoothed her suede jacket. Not the best choice for a rainy day, but it was what she always wore on Sundays. As they waited with the boot open, the early morning drizzle floated down like a magician's handkerchief, settling on the freshly cut grass. Janice noticed Barry fidgeting, wanting to get back to the kids and a hearty Sunday breakfast. He usually left once the store was set up at 7.30am. Not sure if this rain is going to ease off. Shall we unpack? Janice sighed and reached for the door handle. Come on then. They set up the trestle table and went about arranging the books, ornaments and other knickknacks before putting a plastic sheet over the lot to cover it from the rain. There was nothing technological for sale, as Janice put it. Things which needed batteries made the store look old and dated. Everything was arranged into neat little sets, stamps, postcards and jewellery, starter packs as she called them. Janice wiped the rain from her plastic frame glasses, fiddling with the arm held on with electrical tape. Morning, morning, the boys startled Janice. She hated the early birds, professionals looking to cherry-pick the best items before the sale started. They were just cutthroat traders who preyed on little old grandmothers, then flogged the items with a huge markup somewhere else next week. They had no interest in the craft or the history of objects, just pounds and pence. Even though Arthur had cashed in his life insurance and gambled it away, leaving her in debt, Janice never treated the boot sale as a source of income, as a job. In the end, she was just happy for her treasures to go to a good home. What kind of toys you got? Any Star Wars? He said, lifting up the plastic sheet. Uh, no, no Star Wars. I'm not really open yet. She looked over at Barry, who got the message. The man was protected against the rain by his black bomber jacket. He was short, bald, and wore a gaudy metal skull ring. This silver? He didn't wait for an answer and inspected the hallmarks on the tankard. That was Dad's, wasn't it? said Barry under his breath. It's been years, love. 
Some of the stuff has got to go. Little by little, eh? How about a fiver? The man butted in. I know people who'd have this. That's Sheffield silver, said Janice. It's worth five times that. And besides, I want it to go to a collector. Seven? Look, will you give us a minute here? We are not open yet. She pulled the see-through sheet back over the display. Gonna sell it or no, he said, waving it in front of Barry. Dates will be open soon. A tenner. Final offer. Listen, mate, Barry started, although the man wasn't listening. Come back later. It's worth a lot more to us than a measly tenner. The trader peeked under the plastic sheet to look at the other items. He snorted and turned to go. A tenner's best you're going to get. Not much else here, anyway. Janice waited until he was out of earshot. Cheeky sod. It's always the same with rum, lads. No blooming patience. You stand up for yourself, Mum, and don't let anything of Dad's go so cheap. She squeezed his hand. I'll be off then, said Barry, getting his car keys ready. All right, Doc. I'll see you and the kids later. About eleven? You bet. Good luck today, and remember, no clutter. Janice watched as he got into the people carrier and pulled away, winding his way past the parked cars back to the entrance gate. She set the tanker down on the table and made some final adjustments to the display. The sun was beginning to peek through the clouds and the rain was easing. By ten o'clock the sale was in full swing. The traders, the buyers and the just lookers potted around between the rows of stools. Janice had sold a few pieces, including some rolled-out books. Two pounds wasn't much towards the £100 target, but it was worth it to see the little girl's reaction at getting five new stories for the price of two. Reckon that's most of the Sunday punters in now, she said to the man on the pitch next to her, a burly ex-policeman called Reg. Not many people come in after ten. Ah, you're not wrong. It's an early riser's game, to be sure. Are you a regular here, then? I don't come every week, but I do like a sale, he said, taking off his hat to reveal thinning orange hair. You pick up all sorts of things on the force, I'll tell you. Did you work in Lincoln, Reg, or did you retire here? I was transferred down here, but about 15 years ago. No family left in Scotland apart from my boy in Perthshire. No wife. Divorced, like most of the police. He let out a roaring laugh. Retired, free and single, eh? Janice said, taking off her glasses for comic effect. Are you flirting with an officer of the law, madam? Well, if you lock me up, at least I wouldn't have to deal with those flipping lecky bills. Got up to 50% this year, they have. Is that what you think turns us boys on, talking about your house card accounts? She smiled sweetly, building up to asking the favour. Yeah, you wouldn't mind looking after my stool for half an hour, would you, Doc? I want to have a nose around. Are you sure? A 50-50 split, eh? He said with a wink. Ha-ha. You just keep an eye out for people with more money than sense. She touched his arm by way of thanks and went round the corner towards the next row of cars. She worked her way through the clothes racks and past the cars selling Warhammer figures and cheap pine furniture. There were loads of experts in records, toys and jewellery, but if a lifetime watching the Antiques Roadshow had taught her anything, it was that people attach sentimental value to absolute tat and often miss what's right under their nose. The best stories were of the people who brought in family heirlooms not to be sold, but because they loved them, and they wanted to share them. A few of the more serious traders were grouped together in front of their big fans with retractable doors. No wife, divorced like most of the police. Here, missus, you sold that tankard yet? Janice looked over to see the bald-headed man from earlier. Uh, hello, it's Mrs Cartwright. Right, yeah, he said, looking back past her. Astley Pierce, Pearson Co. She looked at his dusty white van, no company logo, well, Mr. Astley, I had a lady interested at 25. She's coming back later. 
Some people are made of money, he said. Take a look, anyway. Anything that tickles your fancy, just shout. Janice picked up a brass telescope. It was early 20th century and had a nice weight to it. She looked through the end, but the lens was broken. The stall consisted of bait-like houseware, Dalton figurines, and decorative picture frames. Not bad, although nothing had prices, and she wasn't in the mood for a haggling match with a cockney geezer. What about these? She fondled some coins in a patterned wooden box. I'll do you two for five quid if you like, he said with a sharp sniff. Can't say fairer than that. Janice inspected a few of the pieces. There were a couple of old pennies, but they weren't rare ones. She saw a metal bar which had come detached from the medal it once carried. Knife was a Palincial war battle, if Janice remembered correctly. What a shame the medal was missing, although the bar might be worth thirty pounds or so. And as she touched the bottom of the box, Janice noticed a small bulge under the lining. She turned away from the stall owner and dug her nails under the material. It was loose in the corner, and she managed to extract the coin stuck underneath. Her heart jumped into her throat when she saw it was the missing medal. Not wanting to give the game away, she rotated back towards Astley on the stall. So, what do you say? What was the best play here? She couldn't risk just trying to hide it among a job lot of a few pieces. He would see the medal. It could have belonged to someone who fought with Nelson or Wellington, a war hero. It might be worth hundreds or thousands. A hunched old man with a walking stick a bit. Hello there, Astley, old boy. Got anything new in today? All right, Mr. Bingham, how's it going? I've got a pucker walnut card table back here, art deco, and this. He motioned to Janice, who still held the box in her hands. She stiffened, drawing the box closer. All right, I'll take it. How much do you want? Nice box, that, said the old man. Rosewood? Seems like it. Astley held his hand out for the box, without looking at Janice. She closed the lid and handed it over. I'll give you 20 for the lot, if you like. The box is worth 20 on its own, said the old man. What's in it? She couldn't let Astley see the contents. The medal was on top of the other coins now. Just old currency, nothing rare. I want it for my grandson. He's got a book of old coins. What would you give me for it, Astley asked the man, still ignoring Oh, 30, I would say. This man was a stooge, surely. Janice tried to keep her calm. Mm, I don't want to spend more than 20. Her heart was racing, and this had to be worth the gamble. 30 it is then, said Astley, handing the box towards Mr. Ding. Janice sighed. All right, 35. It's his birthday this week, and I promised I would get him something collectible. Janice didn't like lying. Sam's birthday wasn't for months, but sometimes he had to make the most of what he had. Play the little old lady card. The old man shook his head at Astley. Janice thought she saw him wink back. Sold. She breathed a sigh of relief and made a big show out of counting out the notes and coins for the 35. Come on, love, tighter than a fucking Jew, he muttered, just loud enough for her to hear. Janice would normally have said something, but it wasn't worth it. It was the likes of him that voted for Brexit, that voted for the BNP. He deserved to lose out on the sale of a lifetime. 35 there. Astley remained poker face. Nice one, he said, snatching the money and stuffing it into his pocket in a flash, like a racecourse bookie. Janice took the box and headed back to her car, trying to keep a normal pace rather than breaking into a skip. When she returned to the sanctuary of her pit, she examined the piece in more detail. The medal bar had four class, Pyrenees, Nivelle, Neve and Orts. But without a name and rank due to the missing ribbon, she would have to do some detective work to discover its true owner. The silver medal itself was a military general service award, and was in excellent condition. It bore the head of Queen Victoria and the date of 1848. She knew they were issued posthumously for officers in the Napoleonic Wars. Janice took out her phone and pressed one on speed dial. Barry, love. All right, Mum. 
We're a bit behind schedule. I'm not sure. Yes, yes. Don't worry about that. Listen, I found something. Not on holiday special edition Charles and Diana plates, is it? No, don't be silly. I need you to check the value of a military general service medal, 1848. Did you get that? 1848? Really? That's a genuine antique. All right. Give me a sec to Google it. It's got four battles on its class, but no name. While she waited, Janice moved the coin around in her fingers, watching it catch the light. Mum? Yes? Are you sure it's real? It looks exactly like the ones I saw down in the Dorset military keep. There are a few prices. It depends on who it belonged to. You know, I've got one here on screen. Sotheby's of London. Sold in a coin auction for 12 grand. 12 grand. That's amazing. How much did you pay? Janice sat down on her deck chair. Are you still there? Less than 50 quid. I can't wait to tell the kids. Nana's rich, said Barry. Keep it safe now. Yeah, she breathed, looking for something to wrap the coin in. See you soon, eh? Righto. Bye. She had heard the boot sales stories, of course. The mint condition Hendrix album the diamond earrings that someone thought was costume jewellery, but she never thought she would strike it this lucky. Reg sidled over from the next door with a steaming paper cup in one hand and a bacon cob in the other. Thanks for looking after the stool, said Janice. Much interest? Everybody keeps asking about that tankard. Nice piece, that. Oh, yeah. My husband got it from his Falkland surface. We've got a few others, too. A navy man, eh? Yeah, he's no longer with us, unfortunately. Cancer. I'm sorry to hear that. Must be difficult, eh? So young, too. Reg glanced skyward, as if looking for Mr. Cartwright. Thirty-five years together, and he left me in a right pickle, she shrugged. I'm no spring chicken, but I ain't got me bus passed yet. I'm gonna have to find another job, or sell a lot more of this. I'm sixty-five next year myself, he said reassuringly. Reg looked older than sixty-five. He was overweight and had a whiskey drinker's bloodshot nose but his green eyes pierced through his saggy face. Janice imagined him pounding the pavement in a beige raincoat with a copy of the Scotsman tucked under his arm. Did he find anything? Janice wondered if she could trust him. Uh, well, ex-cobbers were honest people, weren't they? He seemed all right. Oh, go on then, she said. I've just been dying to tell someone. She drew a deep breath before starting. It all started before opening. There was a little ball bloke, a rough type, who was hassling me this morning when I was setting up. I... And when I was pottering around the stalls, and I came to his, gone. He didn't have much, but I found this medal buried in a box of old duds. She held it up for him to see. A year collector. That's the thing, I'm not. But I do remember an episode of Flog It, where they mentioned how the military medal market is on the up. People are going crackers for them, hoarding them like gold. I suppose it depends who it belonged to, but it's nearly 200 years old. Sotheby's sold one recently, for a lot. Well, I'll be. I gave him 35 quid for the box. He got me up from 20. I've got a power, you know. You could verify. He used to work on the force. Hmm. My son will be coming soon and... No funny business, I promise. He's straight up. I can just ask him some questions over the phone. Janice plasted the coin in her hand. Mm, all right, if it's just a call, I am desperate to know either way, if it's real or not. She couldn't get that figure out of her head. £12,000. Her bank account hadn't been into four figures for months. They would probably think it was some kind of mistake. Her mind flashed forward to the white, sandy beaches of Greece. Maybe she should get a university fund going for the grandkids. Or maybe just swap the Sainsbury's basics for taste the difference in her weekly shopping. The opportunities were endless. Things were winding down at midday at Bradbury College. Most of the sellers were packing up, or at least thinking about it. The woman hadn't come back for the tankard, and Janice was expecting Barry to pick her up at any moment. 
Reg's contact had proved very useful, and after a lengthy phone call, he had confirmed that the piece was genuine. Janice hadn't stopped nattering since. She had told Reg all about her best previous finds, her biggest sales, the grand tickets, and Arthur's time away at sea. Excuse me, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Cartwright, was it? Janice turned to see Astley Pierce of Pearson Co. approaching. I need a word about that box. Janice's body froze. You mean the box of old coins you sold me? Yeah, the box. That's it. Right, she stood there, arms folded, feet planted. Somehow he knew. How had he found out about the medal? I just got off the blur with a friend of mine, coin collector. It was him that sold it to me. Said his missus went berserk and wants the box back. It was actually a mum's. Janice didn't believe a word of it. The expert that Reg called must have tattled to Astley. Dodgy antiques traders were always in cahoots. But you sold them to me, said Janice, pointing to the sign of the entrance, which said in bold letters, All sales are final. Anyway, if you wouldn't mind, it's just everything in that box was very important to her. I don't want to give them back. They are for my grandson. He moved closer, right up to Janice's table. How about I pay you double what you paid? He would be very grateful, you see. Astley scanned the goods on show, looking for the box. Sorry, but you can't have them back. Listen, love, you're going to give them back to me for 70 quid, or I can take them back, right? Janice looked around for Reg, but he was listening to the radio in his car. She raised her voice to attract his attention. I've already given them to my son, so you can't take them. They're not here. Bulls, don't believe you, he said, starting to rifle through the half-packed objects on Jan's stool. Where is it? Reg, Janice shouted at the Red Sierra. You will give me that medal back? Or I'll turn this proxy stall over right now. The car door opened and Reg heaved himself out and headed over. Astley spotted the bags under the table and emptied the contents onto the grass. Oi, get your filthy hands off my stuff, Janice squawked. But it was too late. He had already tipped the box out of the bag. What's the problem here, Reg said in his best policeman's voice. He was already virtually on top of Astley. Just getting my property back, he said, checking inside the bags. Whatever it is, you can sling your hook, pal. Astley turned to face Reg, who was twenty years older than him, but at least three stones heavier and six inches taller. Fuck off, Jock. Stay out of this. He turned to go with the box under his arm. Reg's face reddened. You give that back, or I'll punch your cockney nose through your neck back to Buddy Green Street. His gaze didn't flee. It's just a box, mate. I, And you only want it because you know what's in it. Something clicked in Astley's mind. You're in on it, ain't you? You know how much it's worth. I don't know. What you're talking about, Sonny, said Reg, still tightly coiled. Janice reached her hands out of the box. Give it me. Astley took a step back and kept his eyes on Reg. You know, my mate Smithy, the coin skeeter, don't you? It was you what called him, ex-copper, he said. Give me that box back, demanded Janice louder now. I've been waiting ages for a piece like that, Astley roared, pointing a finger at her. And you come in with your fucking grandkids routine, trying to pull the wool over my arms. He stormed off, box in hand, booting the leg of the table as he went, knocking it over. Janice's first instinct was to pick up the table. All of her carefully arranged things were now strewn across the damp grass. She struggled past the table and went after her medal. As Astley was about to turn the corner back towards his van, she called up to him. She was unsure how to stop him, but she had to try. He half turned around, threatening to shove her away from the box. Janice held herself back and considered her next move. He couldn't hit her. There were people watching. He's a thief, she shouted, looking around for support. A common crook. And the other stallholders averted their gaze, not wanting to get involved. Astley kept walking. Realising she wasn't going to get anywhere with words, Janice took drastic action. No, you don't, she said, and threw herself into the back of the man in a badly formed dive. She clattered into his legs and bounced off in a tangle of limbs. Astley tripped and stumbled to the ground, spilling the box. 
As he did, Reg caught up to them, puffing. Without a word, he dropped to his knees and pinned Astley to the ground. I'll knock your wee brain out if you try anything. The owners of the closest store inched closer, their hands searching for the record button on their mobile phones. Reg was now kneeling on Astley's chest, using all of his 16 stones to stop him from wriggling free. Janice got to her feet and reached down for the box before brushing the mud off her trousers as best she could. When she opened it, she found the medal perched on top of all the other coins, beaming back at her. Astley lay still, grimacing, holding his ribs. Jesus, this is assault! Reg led him up and took out his phone. He called the local station. I Hello, Mary, it's Reg here. Okay, mate, I get the hint. No need to get the old bill involved. Astley straightened out his bomber jacket and headed back towards the van. After a few steps, he turned to Janice. I'll be back later, and it's still on my inventory, and I'm the legal owner. Hold on there, Mary, Reg said into the handset. He pointed to Astley. You better change your books then, pal, or this place will be swarming with police and it'll be you, not me, going down for assault and robbery. Janice took her place next to Reg. Sling your hook. Reg continued talking to the police secretary while Ashley weighed up his next move. Janice thought he was going to make another lunge for the box, but he stung around and stormed off like a teenager who had just been grounded. She signalled to the onlookers that the entertainment was over. Reg hung up the phone and rubbed his back. I haven't taken anyone down like that for years. I hope you're alright. I think my trousers took the worst of it, she said. I don't know what I would have done without your help. Oh, I don't know, he chuckled. You tackle better than half the Scotland rugby team. I think you might have managed all right. As they arrived back to their stalls, Janice saw Barry and the grandchildren drive through the gate. They went to work, picking up the fallen items and moving the table to make space for the people carrier. Barry poked his head out of the window. Well, hey, come on, give us a look. Hello, love. Hello, boys. The kids jumped out of the car, ran straight past their grandma and started to grab at items from Janice's stall at random. What's this, Nana? Leave those, please, boys. So where is his medal, then, Barry said. Janice presented the box and opened the lid. Whoa, is it worth a million pounds, asked Sam. Janice smiled. Not exactly, but it's very precious. There are only a few of them, and collectors would pay a lot to have it. Isn't your Nana clever, said Barry. I'll take you to the auction house tomorrow, if you like. No need to bother, love. Reg said it might be better to wait for a specialist auction down in London. Could be the star attraction. Reg? Lovely chap, he's over there. Look, we made quite the team earlier. Reg waved from the next stall over. Barry glanced down at Janice's mud-stained jeans. What happened to your trousers? Oh, nothing. Just a little accident. It's all, it's all over now. Barry's attention flipped back to making sure the boys didn't get run off or pocket any of the goods on show. So what are you going to do with the money? My God, we've not even got it. I reckon it's about time you spend something on yourself, Mum. What about a new TV? Hmm, I suppose a holiday might do. That's the spirit. Dad always wanted to go to Greece, didn't he? Kefalonia. Ever since he read that bloody Captain Corelli's mandolin. Oh yeah, where's Kefalonia? asked Sam. Is it in Scotland? No, my darling, it's further than Scotland. Hotter too. Let's get this stuff loaded, shall we? said Barry, motioning to the boys. As they started to load the items back into the boot, an elderly lady walked up. She greeted Janice with a nod. Hello again, I've come back to see about that silver tankard. Janice welcomed her with a warm smile. Yes, it's still here. I'll put it by for you. That's ever so kind. I was worried you might have sold it. Sales are slow today, but I've got the 25. She fished around, took her bag for the money. My husband, you see, he was in the Navy. Was he really? Mine too, said Janice. The lady looked down and shuffled her feet. Janice had expected a question. Did he see any action? Or where were they based? 
Instead, the lady picked up the tankard from the table, looking at it, dreamily, remembering. Janice knew that look, only too well. Here's the money, the woman finally said. You know what, sweetheart? It's yours. Pardon? What do you mean? I can pay. The lady stammered, setting the tankard down again. Janice thought of all those Sundays, her with a small glass of white wine, and her late husband with his beer. Take it, please. I've had some real luck today. Must be Arthur himself smiling down on me. I want you to have it. I couldn't. I insist, said Janice, thrusting the silver mug into the woman's hands. She looked at Janice, then at the tankard, then back to Janice. I don't know what to say. Thank you so much. It really means... You just have to take good care of it. Put it on display. The lady shook hands, and Janice saw another piece go to a deserving owner. The sun had burned off the remaining clouds, and it was turning into quite a nice day. Not warm, but bright. Still, Greece was where the real sun shone. Janice thought she would get one of those nice white villas and drink gin and tonics before lunch. After all, she might have someone to invite along now. Thank you for listening to Other People's Flowers. Other People's Flowers is produced and edited by Hugo Gibson and Chris Kamalvutitam. If you enjoy the show, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating. If you'd like to have your work featured on the programme, please visit otherpeoplesflowers.com to see our submission guideline. Thank you.